Hello, and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're going to be talking about Sweetest Scoundrel by Elizabeth Hoyt. So this is number nine in the Maiden Lane series. Yeah, there are a ton of books in the series. You know, we talk about this in Darling Beast, but there, there are at least 12 books in the series. Um, they're made up of like different trilogies that sort of interlock but they are all in some way related to each other so there are reoccurring characters things mm-hmm. like that um and so this one is it, part of the mini trilogy that involves the the heart's folly pleasure garden pleasure garden and theater and yes indeed so i don't know i just imagine in georgian times going to the most amazing theater is i guess it's like an amusement park for adults it's like some pretty gardens, a maze, a theater, an orchestra. Firework. I guess it's kind of a little bit like Vauxhall Gardens. Yeah. But like before they were created. Yeah. You know, so just the the, the, the destination place. Is it Vauxhall or Vauxhall? No idea. I think it's Vauxhall. I mean, which I, it's fine with me if it's Vauxhall, but... But it's wrong. But it's Again, yeah. <laughs> you know, what can I say? I, I, I pronounce things... Frenchie. Francophile. I only know about because of the car company. Hmm. Who knows? I'll have to, we'll, we'll do some research when we actually go to Vauxhall or Vauxhall Gardens whenever. Yeah, in person. So um, this is usually a book review, not, so, not a discussion of gardens. <laughs> but, but this book does involve these pleasure gardens very heavily. Because the, the hero owns one. The hero owns one and the heroine is in charge of the finances for it. Yes. So let's dive right in with the book jacket. Okay, she's taking charge. Prim, proper, and thrifty, Eve Dinwiddie is all business when it comes to protecting her brother's investment. But when she agrees to control the purse strings of London's premier pleasure garden, Hearts Folly, she finds herself butting heads with an infuriating scoundrel who can't be controlled. He's running the show. Body and bold, Aza Makepeace doesn't have time for a penny-pinching prude like Eve. As the garden's larger-than-life owner, he's already dealing with self-centered sopranos and temperamental tenors. He's not about to let an aristocratic woman boss him around, no matter how enticing she is. But love conquers all. In spite of her lack of theatrical experience and her fiery clashes with Aza, Eve is determined to turn Hart's folly into a smashing success. But the harder she tries to manage the stubborn rake, the harder it is to ignore his seductive charm and raw magnetism. There's no denying the smoldering fire between them, and trying to put it out would be the greatest folly of all. I see what they did there. That's a good one, Putting right? folly in. I see yeah. what they did there. The, you know, I'm going to be honest. This book jacket is a work of art. This is a really good book jacket. It I'm is. I'm impressed with it. Is she, she's just technically not an aristocrat. That's the only objection I have to it. She's, she's a, not an aristocrat, no. Illegitimate half-sister of a duke, but so yeah. she herself is not titled yeah she's not titled she has no no claim to nobility and then the other thing is i would not call him a rake either i feel like rakes don't have any occupation other than raking right and he is a businessman he's a professional man he's like theater guy yeah oh total theater guy like gets around loose morals yeah i mean if you hung out with the theater kids in high school which we both did yeah like he's definitely like the charismatic like theater guy yes although Asa is not an actor no he just runs the show but he also it seems like he and his paramours which are numerous have an understanding yeah he's not doing anything to women 
that they're not expecting. No, and he's not out just to, like, seduce people, which I feel like that's what rakes do. Like, rakes right. are, like, that's what they're about. It's not about conquering. Right. No, not at it's all. It's just he's a man who likes pleasure and takes it where he can get it. Yeah, and, and the, the women he does it with totally understand that. Yep, and are, are the same in yep. many ways. Uh, the paramour he has at the beginning of this novel leaves him to be a mistress of an aristocrat. Mm-hmm. She's just like, dude, you're a great lover, but I got this opportunity. See ya. And he was like, totally, I totally understand, girl. Yeah. See you later. So our random number generator for our personal descriptions was 10 this time. Yes. All right, so I'll start. Deeply wounded practical lady learns to love a lower class scoundrel. And mine, which I think might give a hint as to how I ended up feeling about this book. True love can cure past trauma, fear, and parental disowning. Yeah. So the one thing I will say that is completely missing from this book jacket, which should be there, is that she has been, she has experienced major trauma in her life. And... Part of their relationship is, is getting over that trauma. Right. So she was sexually assaulted. Yes. And that really defines her. Yes. Her character prior to meeting him, what has led her to make the choices she's made in her life, every action since the day of this event when she was supposedly 13 or 14, mm-hmm. it has dictated her whole life. Yeah. Which, so I really hesitated before recommending this book. So this is I really like this book a lot. I really like the relationship. We'll talk about the sexiness later. Um, I, I really like it. And because I like it so much, I, I did recommend it to Lane, even though I knew and I know that she really doesn't like books that involve um, a lot of sexual trauma, sexual assault. To me, it is... It, and having recommended the book and then rereading it and then talking about it with Lane has really made me wonder like why is this book okay for me whereas an, another book that might involve the same themes is not mm-hmm. and I think for me like I have to find my line we were Lane and I were talking about this before starting because I was like well what what is my line like where do where do I draw it what what's too much for me and what isn't and I think for me if the sexual abuse or or sexual assault or rape or whatever is described in the text and is written in some way to make it somehow titillating, that is my line. Like you don't want it as a fetish. I don't want it as a fetish. I I don't I really don't want like a graphic representation of rape or sexual assault. Like even if it's presented as a something that's bad, I don't want to read it. And I I think in this case, she does describe herself, but it's not described in great, great detail, and it's presented as something that she experienced and she had to get over. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, from her perspective and her words. My line is in a different place, mm-hmm. um, but I do agree that this is not, her, her trauma was not represented in a sexy way at all. Like, it's clearly horrible. She's clearly affected by it. At no point could you read it and think it was trying to, like, be a sexual encounter. Right. It is very disturbing. Um, I think for me, because clearly I don't hate all media that's ever referenced a sexual assault, and because it's a good book, I'll name drop, Meg recommended Cordelia's Honor by Lois McMaster Bejold to mm-hmm. me. And there is a graphic representation of an attempted assault on her in that book, and it doesn't bother me at all. Um, and I think probably because, one, it's, it's about war, and I think mitigating the trauma of women in situations like that would be disingenuous. Um, but I also think because the character is not defined by it, which is unfair. This isn't to like 
put down women for whom sexual assault is really defining. But I think for me, if it moves the plot along for some purpose other than what's the worst thing I can think to do to this female character. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it really is for me. I think a lot of times if you want to have a wounded or damaged char- female character who's afraid of men, it's just super easy to write her as an assault victim. And so yeah. it's, I think it's lazy. I think if the worst thing you can possibly think of happening to a female character is rape and that's what you're going to center your story around, I'm immediately out of the moment. Yeah. And I think maybe for me, too, is because... So we've talked about Elizabeth White before. I really I really like her in general. And her... She does not go there very often. So this is not... Not in her main character. No. But we were discussing... I think I've read four of her books, and every single one at least passingly references sexual trauma. This is true. This is true. But the, the main character is not defined by this or in all of her books. Has experienced it in all of the right. books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I really like, so again, I, I have not experienced sexual abuse. I have not experienced PTSD. I can't say whether or not the, the symptoms that Eve presents, presents or, are accurate right. in any way, shape, or form. I can say that I really enjoyed the, the book. Like, I really do like it. And don't worry, I'm going to have nice things to say, you guys. I'm just, like, prefacing this yeah. with everything I say about this book. It's going to be a little bit colored by, I would not choose to read this yeah. again because it just crossed my line. Yeah, well, and also just a major trigger warning, like, sexual abuse is not only referenced, it is a huge part of this book. Yes. So you can't, you can't avoid it. It's not like one line here or, you know, something that happened to somebody else far away, my sister, right. this happened to them. Like this, the main character is completely informed by what happened to her. Yes. So tropes, like overall writing, what were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I think it's well written. I think she is a good writer. Um, I will definitely say that at the end of this book, there's this huge grand gesture that I, and I've talked about this before again, I, I would never, I would not want this to happen to me in real life. It would be like horrible. But reading about it, I'm like, oh, I love this. Like, I watched The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Like, all of their dates end with some kind of, well, we're going to go have this person serenade us, or we're going to have a fireworks show. And, like, I love that I eat it up. So the fact that this book ends that way was great for me. I like the ending. Um, one of the – this has a carriage hookup. There is a carriage hookup. So check that box. Um, yes. And he's – very, I don't know how to put this. Neither one of these characters are traditional romance characters, I yes. feel like. Because he's not titled, not aristocratic at all. He's from a like big family son of a brewer. Mm-hmm. And he took over this uh, pleasure garden, much yeah. to the objections of his family. Yeah. Um, and she's, like I said, the bastard daughter of a duke and the sister of a duke who treat her well, but she herself is not moneyed or aristocratic. Yeah, she totally lives on, on the charity of her brother, basically. Well, and even the way that his he views sex for pleasure and really nothing else, and it's not complicated for him, I feel like, you, you said earlier, romance novels are usually either about good boys or rakes. Yeah. And he's sort of neither. No, yeah. Exactly, yeah, he's... And not only so he's not rich he's a, he works for his money, um, pretty hard. And that's why his body's great. Yes, of course <laughs> they all have to have a reason for it. And he he you would think a theater manager what what does he do to keep his body in shape? Well, he lifts scenery and like does all kinds of stuff on set. He's very hands on. Yeah, he's a hands on manager. Super jacked, super, super male. Jacked. That's the thing. he's 
Yes. His, like, pervasive sexuality is noted through the whole book. It's virile is, like, yes. the word she uses the most to describe him. Yeah. And it's hilarious. And I mean, like, he's, like, he's good looking or whatever. Like, he's not, like, you, he's not, like, you don't see him and he's not, like, chiseled or anything like that. But he's, you cannot look away from him. Like, he is, like, animal magnetism to the max. And, like, craggy. Yeah. Like, like masculine. Yes. Is what he is. Yes. And I think it's also interesting because a lot of times when I've read romance novels where the author makes such a big deal about the masculinity of the hero, Mm -hmm. she has to, in equal measure, talk about the femininity of the Mm -hmm. heroine, and that really doesn't happen here. No, I I really like this. So I've talked before, I will talk again about how I hate that you don't know you're beautiful. That is in no way, shape, or form here at all. He's not like, oh, you never realized you were really beautiful. No, she's not beautiful. Like he says several times, she's completely plain. Like, she has no, like, barely any figure at all. Big nose. Big, oh, yeah, big nose is mentioned quite a few times. Um, but, and, and, I, so one of the things I really like about it is that I feel like this does happen in real life. You know, like, you meet someone for the first time, you might not think they're attractive, and then as you get to know them, like, you do become more but attractive it's the difference them. between sexy and hot. Yeah. Like, to me, hot is an objective, like that's a good-looking human. And okay. sexy has a lot of different components to it. Yeah. It can be the way they carry themselves, the way yeah. they speak, the way they, you know... I, I believe people can become sexier over time. Yeah, and so so I really do like that as he gets to know her, he finds her more attractive. And she's got great hair. She, her hair is beautiful. That's, like, that's her stellar feature, yeah. is her hair. Yeah, um, and he's got pretty good hair, too. Yeah. Come to think of it, he's got some good hair. And he's a real snazzy dresser. I, like, love this about him. So he's, like, super theater guy. He, like, wears shirts with lace on it. And he wear, he wore a gold waistcoat with black embroidery on it. And she dresses to, like, fade into the background. She, she only wears, like, gray. I really was beginning to wonder if she only owned one dress. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. But I, I it, it didn't bother me. Like, I, lo- I really liked how he was presented as super masculine, but also he cared about his looks. Yeah. And she is not presented as super feminine or anything. She's, I mean, she does it to fade away, which I get, but also I I liked the contrast. Agreed. Um, I will say the worst part about this book, other than my personal distaste for sexual assault in romance novels, was her handling of the side plots. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. I do agree. And it's, it's so funny because, again, I was like trying to analyze why I like this book. And I realized that, because I will reread this book. I really like it. I like it enough that I bought it and I will reread it. I will skip the side plots. Like, there are there are whole chapters that I'm just like, okay, next. So, as we've mentioned, she's supported by a brother who is Val, who also appeared in Darling Beast. Mm-hmm. And he's out of the country due to something that I assume happens in the book I haven't read. And so she's, the, apparently his housekeeper is spying on him. And all of the stuff about the housekeeper and the brother and references also to the Lords of Chaos, which is the group of men who were present when she was assaulted. All of that can be skipped. Yeah. It's badly done. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, like, poorly written. No, it's, it's just, it just has no bearing on the plot at all. Like, this, this chapter will start and it has nothing, nothing to, to do, do. Yeah. with the book that's happening as you're reading it at all. It's so. totally useless. It's... 
it's a different book entirely and you can skip it without missing a thing yeah and 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 I do like I like literally I do I will skip that part I kept reading them thinking that like it was a mystery that was going to be solved in this book and not even close and I know you've referenced before that she doesn't do side plots really well I don't well so you know every well you may not know this but if you read romance novels you will soon learn that the author will often set up the next book so she wants to set up the next um relationship so you know who it's going to be about or at least you know who the girl is or who the who the boy is um <laughs> you know yeah to be heteronormative about it but yeah that's these are heteronormative. um so that part like whatever but the way Hoyt does it I I don't think is very good at all because she'll really she'll go completely into this other person's perspective uh, it's told from their view. And it's probably close to a quarter of the book in this it's one. It's a lot. It's a lot of the book. I found it less jarring in Darling Beast mm-hmm. than I, I did here. Because Darling Beast, at least the main male character whose perspective you're shifting to sometimes, does have a direct bearing on the plot. Right. Where in this case, I cannot stress how completely unrelated Comple- it is. It is completely unrelated. Um, and uh, I've this is something that's always annoyed me about this book, actually, from the beginning to the end and even now. The final chapter of the book is from... The housekeeper's perspective. Yes. It's not It's not from Eve or, or Asa. And it's not about them. It's not about them. At no. all. It's just to set up for the next book. So that was, that's frustrating. And I, I, for the people who don't like that in a book, let us tell you, you can safely skip. You can 100% skip it. Scene. Every time Bridget gets on screen or on, on the page, just skip it. Skip to the next chapter or you're fine. Yep. Okay. Sexiness. All right. You should start. Okay, so I think that this is this one of those books' greatest strengths. I think she does a really good job of setting up their relationship and explaining why they are attracted to each other. And then I think she does an amazing job of showing sex scenes that are so they're non-traditional sex scenes um, because Eve does not want to be touched in any way. Um, at all mm-hmm. so and he is extremely respectful of that so there is one case so he kisses her once without her permission before he knows that she doesn't that there, you know in no way shape or form does she encourage anyone's advances and she has a breakdown and after that he's like okay well I promise the only time we'll ever touch you is if you explicitly ask me to do it and she says well I will never do that and he says I'm cool with that mm-hmm and I think that she does this great job of showing consent as being sexy. And lest, dear reader, you worry that this means there is not enough sex in this book. This book is like half sex. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of sex before they touch each other. Mm-hmm. That is very... It's hard because on the one hand, I objectively can tell it's good... There's just a couple of things he thinks, particularly about her assault, that totally take me out of the mm-hmm. moment. Um, and to a degree, he seems, like, into the idea that she's, like, virgin goods. And... Yeah, so so I reread this. Is, Lane had talked to me about this, and I reread it over the weekend, like, looking to, to see, like... Because I had never gotten that impression before. And I don't know if he thinks she's a virgin but he definitely likes the idea of like being the one to introduce her to but all he this thinks stuff. before like he thinks she's innocent he says the word innocent and okay maybe i'm being naive and innocent because yes in historical romances when you use the word innocent it does most of the time mean virginal but to me it's not 
her innocence, and I'm not trying to say that, like, non-consexual sensual encounters need to, like, count or not count. What bothers me about this is the way that he thinks, like, I'm the first she's ever touched. I'm Mm -hmm. the first to ever touch her without really knowing the terms of what happened to her. Yeah. And it's just, it bothers me a little bit because her innocence is predicated on this trauma. Yeah. And he's, like, turned on by these assumptions he's making about her that are a result of the trauma. Once again, I am hypersensitive to this. So it's not, I'm not saying it's too much or, like, makes it not worth reading. I'm saying if you're as bothered by it as I am, there's enough within the sex scenes that, like, I'd literally be forgetting for, like, half a second that this was a relationship that sort of made me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then he'd think something like that. And it'd be like, oh, right, she was molested. Cool. Let's let's talk about the the carriage scene. Yeah, because that's really good. It's it's really good. It is non-traditional. So, when I say non-traditional, when you read historical romances, there are lots of carriage sex scenes because that's where they could have alone time unchaperoned um my favorite and this happens in so many books my favorite is when and it's always the hero that says this the hero says you know drive on and i'll tell you when to take me home yep and they just like drive around the park like over and over and over i don't know why i just like i it's great yes um and of course it always makes me think of madame bovary where this kind of happens uh, in that too which is also, which is played for laughs, it's not supposed to be sexy, but it's also hilarious because the carriage is driving around and then you, the, the, the coachman hears, well, don't stop, and he's like, okay, I'll just keep, guess I'll keep going, <laughs> when of course those words were not addressed to right. him. Um, anyway, in this scene, uh, this carriage scene, there's, they don't touch each other. No. So she asks him to show her why sex is pleasurable on himself. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he does. And it is very hot. And it, it's it, especially hot for, like, I personally, in, in, like, real life, thinking about that, I'm not like, yeah, that sounds like an awesome night. Like, no, I would not even be into it. And yet, the way it's written, it's just very well done. Yeah. And I think it's it goes back to that, what you were saying, consent is portrayed as really sexy here. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she's asking for it, it's as yes. far as she can go. He doesn't pressure her to go further. Not at all. Like, it is really well done. Right? I Yeah. So I've, I really like that. There's also another part. So again, this is, so this is, I think, the very first sort of sexual scene. So yeah. this is pre-carriage, what I'm going to talk about now. But they're talking about, so they're hiring a castrato mm-hmm. to sing. Which is historically accurate. I did look it up to like see. Yeah. And so they, they would have had to hire a castrato. And he's he the one that he hires, he's brand new on the scene. He's like, it's good because I always had these issues with Gio. And she's like, well, what do you mean? Issues with Gio, the, the other castrato. And he said, well, you know, he was just a womanizer and all these men would come around. And she was like, ah, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's like, I don't understand. No, all these women would come around. Excuse me. That's yeah. what I meant. All the women would come around. And she's like, I don't understand, like, how could he, why would they even be interested? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why would, would he they, be interested? Well, why would he, why would anyone be interested in this? Right. And he's like, well, maybe he just takes care of him by hand. And she's like, I don't get it. Like, what do you mean? And he just explains to her, and it is hot. I'm just nodding really vigorously. Yeah. It's, like, it's just, it's so well done. Um, like, they do not 
touch each other. They do not get unclothed. They do not really come near each other in the scene. Like they're both sitting in their office and they each have their own desk and they're each behind the desk. And it is still like one of the hottest scenes I've ever read. Yep. It's really good. And that there's still like three more we're not really talking about in detail as they get more and more yeah. comfortable with each other. So that is a highlight. Yeah. I think of Elizabeth White in general, I'm coming to realize. Yeah, like she, that's yeah. she does it really well. What can what can I say? What can I say? Um it, it's 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 really good. Like she just does a great job with it. And and so when the then the first time they do become uncle, like he asks her every single time he does anything, like, Can I take off your gloves? Can I take off your stockings? Like every single thing he does, he asks, May I? And she has to say yes, which is hot yeah really well done and she clearly thinks that it's due oh yeah which major props so moving on to offensiveness okay i know we've talked about the sexual assault a bunch so i don't really feel like we need to keep going with that point but there's one other thing i wanted to bring up and that's the blackamoor yeah thing so i i did look it up because i wanted to know Mm -hmm. um so she has a bodyguard slash manservant who is was a black slave from the Caribbean, and her brother went and basically saved him from dying because her her brother is like the most uh, Machiavellian man in the world, basically. Yeah. So he needs to find someone who will be the most loyal person he can find to protect his sister. And so, of course, the way he does that is by saving his life. So um, Jean Marie is his name. Jean Marie. Yes. Is. Um, owes his life to to Val. Right, so, he was going to be killed by his slave owners. Right. And Val purchased him and saved him. Right. And the word that is used throughout the book to describe a, a black person, a black man, is blackamoor. Mm-hmm. Which did not, when I read the book, I will say it did not strike me as being offensive. Um, I didn't know the history of the word. Though, and then I was, so I was reading some reviews to prepare for this podcast and somebody was extremely offended by the fact that this word was used Mm -hmm. so I did do some research to find out like well was it pejorative at the time my understanding is that it was not pejorative at the time but race is different back then and now I will say you are writing a romance novel set in Georgian times so you do not have to use this word that was that was used back then. Like, she could say man of color. Like, she could use whatever words she wants. She could just use black. She could just and, use black. Mm-hmm. And it is frequent. It's not like it's in his description at the first on the first chapter and they never say the word blackamore mm-hmm. again. It's constant. I mean, this is the word that is chosen to describe his complexion. Like, that, that is it. And it's, it's talked about all the time. Mm-hmm. Which, like, may or may not have been accurate, but it just... I was actually caught off guard by it and I wasn't I'm not familiar with the history of the term mm-hmm. either but I know it's um now a category of jewelry yeah I didn't know about this this is Lane um told me about it so uh, so the queen's cousin was seen wearing a black and more brooch around the time that Harry and Meghan went public and so it made a lot of news yeah. because it was some people were interpreting it as a commentary on their relationship and so I, I became familiar with the genre of jewelry, jewelry at that time um, and note its offensive connotations but the word really stuck out to me and Meg just informed me it only happens four, four times. times I would have guessed more but clearly yeah, you're well, right I, well and I was really surprised because I was like gosh you know I didn't think it was that often but it obviously made so much of an impression that it felt like more right so the 
I wouldn't. I don't think Jean Marie is portrayed offensively. I don't. I do not think so. On the other hand, I am a white woman. He's not a slave. He's now being paid. Yes. He's in her employ. He's, he's married. married a woman who is now also in her employ. They clearly have a bond of friendship, but it is based on this inherent, ab- like, power differential. Yes. So, I'm not going to, like, go out on a limb and say I'm confident that it's not offensive at all, because, like Meg said, my context does not enable yeah. me to endorse it. But so, just something to be aware of if you're particularly sensitive to the handling of slavery in romance novels. This, it could, could, mm-hmm. could be an effect. Yep. Uh, that said, so, I also... I also like that she's portrayed as being like very prim, proper, and like thrifty, and this is a good thing. So she's like really good with money, and like yeah. you know she. This is sort of a book about opposites attracting. Yes, you know, so he's like wildly flamboyant, and she is you know prim, proper. He doesn't. He has to show her receipts, and he like that's what I was thinking. Yes, and he gives her this box of like scribbled notes yeah and that's he's, she's, he's like that those are my books and she's like what what is this and he was like well that's just a bag of walnuts that i happen to throw in there you know like <laughs> and so but she like perseveres and she goes through and I, he starts to see the value in what she does as well right which is i i, I really liked them together i'm just gonna say this this to me the strength of this book is the relationship i, I really think that they are good together. I think the sex is good. And I was just really rooting for them. It veers a little bit into find a good man or a good woman and it'll cure all your life's problems. I mean, for both of them. For both of them, yes. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely She fixes part of his it. relationship with his family. He gets he, her over her fear of men and dogs. Um, yeah. I uh, mean, yes, but that's, and that is also like every her, romance novel out there is they, they heal each other. And he way. literally helps her take re- retribution on her assaulter. Uh-huh. Like, it's very tied up with a bow. I mean, it really is, but that's also why I read romance novels, yeah. you know? Like, I, I cannot fault it for that because I love that. I think if it weren't sexual, if sexual assault was not the thing being cured, yeah, I'd feel better about it. It's, yeah, like I said, disclosure from the beginning of this episode. This is my trigger warning. Yeah, this novel is my trigger warning wrapped up. Yeah. So, but if if it's not your trigger warning, and if it's something that you can read about without just being grossed out all the time, like it is, like I did not like the fact that she was assaulted, obviously. But I also think that it happens when people live with it, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have a romance novel about someone who was affected by that, mm-hmm. you know? And it, I don't think it's problematic and it shouldn't exist. I just don't want to read yeah, it. exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, I will point out, so one, I, let's end on the, the aftermath of the carriage incident, because I yep. loved it. Mm-hmm. I still love it. I, I love this whole scene I love the whole scene like how the setup I know I love the end I love it all yes this is really fun so um after they have finished their encounter in the carriage you know they're I don't know breathing through it putting (laughs) themselves back together right when they they're in London and they are attacked by highwaymen which is extremely unusual for London for London don't worry that is addressed in the text but he like for lack of a better word, goes apeshit. Right? Like, he just, just 
Uh-huh. He takes care of two armed men without killing them. Um, he doesn't, like, take away the gun and shoot them. No, he does take away the gun, um, but then he pistol whips him with it. And, yeah, yeah, I'm, and look, I, I am the first person to say that, like, too much violence is too much for me. But this is, like, mwah, it's, like, perfect, you know, if you're going to make... Well, and so it's just great. Counter, I'm not, violence is not one of my trigger warnings. I'm totally into it in a romance novel. And even reading this, I'm like, yup, very well done. Yeah, and I mean, and I will also say, like, one of my, one of the things that I don't love in novels is where they put a period after each word for emphasis. Like, stop doing that. They do that in this scene, and I still love it. <laughs> I still, I like, it's stuff that I say I hate. But I guess if you do it the right way, I am all about it. Yeah, he really, like... And I think it's also, it's not like he's defending her honor. He's just, like, pissed right. that this is happening. And he's like, this isn't... And he's he has reason to believe he's being specifically targeted, that this is personal, it's not just random... And he's, like, so over being on edge all the time mm-hmm. that he just loses it a little. And in the best possible way. Oh, my God, it's so good. Yeah, and, and like, I love... So he, like, storms out, he, like, gets rid of these two men, and he turns back around, and the footman on the carriage are looking at him like holy shit like it's it's just it's just great yeah it's it's really great she doesn't think so which is uh, like so fair yes you know and i like i love her reaction like i love the i love it all and her reaction is basically just like too much violence no thank you like don't come near me don't touch me like yes we might have just had uh, this really intimate encounter but that was too much and I'm like, I don't respect you for yeah. that behavior. Whereas I, in that situation, would be saying, interesting, let's go back to where we were and do that again. Because <laughs> yes. this was excellent. Yeah. So um, on the whole, I, I don't think this is like every other romance novel. Like, it's going to stick out in my head as yeah. unique. Yes. So if you're looking for something that like differentiates it from the pack... There's a lot here. Yeah, and maybe that maybe that's why it's one of my favorite books too. Because I, I I was really trying to like logically look at it and be like, why do I like it when I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like this, and yet this novel somehow puts it together for me in a way that I do like it. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I won't be reading it again. Mm-hmm. But I'm not mad I did. Right. That's well, th- good. That's what I can say. Like, I'm glad I read it and gave it a shot. And, like, there are things from this that will go into my, like, romance repertoire. Right. If and when I ever write a romance novel, there are things <laughs> right. White does well. But I just don't think... I couldn't... I couldn't get into an escapist place with it. Sure. And that, that is, I think, something that happens with Elizabeth White in general. She, her books are, we've talked about it, but extremely angsty. Yes. Extreme angst is what you get when you when you read her. But it's, again, doesn't originate from their relationship. Right. You know, like their relationship is sort of the, the calm center. Yeah. And then all of the angst sort of happens. Until the very end. end. Until the very end. But, but it gets resolved so fast. And that. it's like, I still love it. I still love it. Like, that's the thing. Spoiler alert, they end up together. Yeah, I know. Big, big surprise. Did you think they might get married? Because they do. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so, I think you endorse this book, yes? I endorse this book. I love this book. I will continue to reread it. So, what can I say? I, lo- I love Sweetest Scandal. I love Ace. I love Eve. I love the whole thing. I love it all. Except for Bridget. Sorry. Sorry, Bridget. Yeah, Bridget can go. 
But the rest, the, any chapter that has Asa and Eve in it together is Asa's. So if uh, you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And we will be back next time with another book to review. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to our re-release of Sweetest Scoundrel. As we have done for the previous books in the Maiden Lane series that we've already read and recorded an episode on, we wanted to record what we're calling our Happily Ever After epilogues, where we reread it and then we go back to talk about how anything, any of our opinions have changed from the first time. And especially for me, given that this is my first time reading the entirety of the series in order, I'm definitely, I've got some evolving opinions. Yes. So, I mean, that's the first question. You read the book the first time because it is it is still one of my favorites, one of my favorites of the series. It's one, again, I said this in the first episode. I'll repeat it again. I do reread it relatively often. Uh, so this was not, <laughs> this was not an unusual experience for me to reread this. Um, but for you, Lane, did your opinion of the book change? Has it changed at all since reading all of the other books that came before it? And seeing it as part of a series? A little bit. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest change, honestly, this read-through was how much more I appreciated Hart's Folly. Yes. Like, I think that is the character. I know it's a location, but the character that benefits the most from yeah. kind of having the context of the entire series. Um, and I will say, I still don't love a lot of things about this book. It's just not, it's, it's not to my taste. But yeah. I do think, I am reframing all of these books as we reread them on the Elizabeth Hoyt angst scale. Right. And realizing that all of the like darkness and to my eyes unnecessary shit is not as bad on her meter as I initially read. Like I think I'm, I'm, I'm softening toward all of them just based on like, exposure like Stockholm syndrome right is this exposure therapy yeah exposure therapy I'm like whatever yeah she's gonna think a lot about her rape now you know I mean uh, okay what about the baptism party it's one of my favorite parts of the book I like love it so much because you see all the previous characters come together I you know the first time you read it you were like I don't know who these people are I don't care what yeah I think this time I still I was surprised, like, that the Makepeace siblings hadn't gotten more page time upon Uh reflection, especially the two who aren't main characters in the series. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I did have a new appreciation for that scene. Like, I definitely didn't just skip it this time because (laughs) I knew who these people were. I know. I love it. I love that scene. It's so funny. It's I I actually think she has a very deft touch with these characters she doesn't go into too much detail she's just like oh she he, he's like oh silence is married to that mr rivers guy yeah. <laughs> no i i really did appreciate that scene i think for the first time because i did not appreciate it at all the first time we read it i was like meg you can't just ask someone to read a book for the first time with no <laughs> none of that context i think you knew about winter though at least no, that's it though meg <laughs> That was the only one. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I listened to the episode to because I didn't want to repeat things that I said in that one. I have to 
amend one thing that I said. I maintain that Bridget's paragraphs are boring. However, she doesn't have full chapters. She only has like half of a chapter. So I, I want to make sure that you don't skip whole chapters when you're reading. Um, also, like in the last, it, when I talked about it in the, the original episode, I said that the final chapter is from Bridget's point of view, and that always disappointed me. Half of the final chapter is from Bridget's point of view. The final half is with Asa and Eve. So make sure you don't just stop reading. Yeah, but is Bridget the absolute fucking worst? I mean, you'll have to tell me what you think of her in her book, her own book. But in this book, she's the worst. It, every time she shows up, it's I'm just like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of Alf? So you know from reading previous books that Alf is a girl. Yes. But in this book, none of the characters know, and Hoyt is clear and consistent, and she never refers to Alf as being a woman uh, in this book. Did you find it jarring, or were you like, oh, yeah, this makes sense? No, I thought it was, I was fine with it. I had never had... When we read this book for the first time, I didn't really have much curiosity about Alf. And right. the number one thing that this reread changed for me is I'm actually hoping she gets more page time in coming books. But I didn't think it was jarring at all to just, in this case, everyone in the book thought it was a teenage boy. So mm -hmm. everybody talks about her like a teenage boy. I thought it was fine. Yeah, for sure. But I do hope, in a way I did not previously, that she gets an arc that gets resolved. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to confirm or deny? I mean, you've already confirmed based on everything about your face. <laughs> you look at more of Alf. I'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I, I figured that out based on your face. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's not, it's not really a spoiler when a character who appears in six books is going to get resolution. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> so... I don't know. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about briefly? I mean, I think I'm increasingly nervous for Val's book. Uh-huh. So, Lord, bear me strength. It's coming up. It's coming up very soon. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, otherwise, I, I think my overall reaction to this book is the same, but my appreciation for the stuff that had the wider context of the series is much higher. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, well, thanks for rereading it with me, Lane. Yeah, anytime <laughs> anytime really really no, i'm not reading this again <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening